to The Business of Being Brilliant, where I explore the human side of work. I talk to business leaders, academics, authors and other experts about what's helped them to work at their best and how we can create organisations where everyone can flourish. I'm your host, Helen Beedham, organisational expert, speaker and award-winning author of the Amazon best-selling business book, The Future of Time. You'll find the show notes at helenbeedham.com where you can also sign up for my insights into the latest work trends, plus some exclusive offers to help you flourish at work and home. Now, let's crack on with this week's episode. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast for Series 7. I'm excited to be reuniting with you all over the airwaves after the Christmas break, and to be introducing you to some brilliant guests and conversations over the next 10 weeks. How are you doing? Did you switch off and recharge over the festive break? Or have you come back to work for a bit of peace and quiet? I'm somewhere between the two. I had a fabulous time with family and friends, accumulating a rather embarrassing chocolate mountain that we're still valiantly working through. And I did a full social media and email detox, which actually turned out to feel pretty good. But I'm also feeling impatient to get going on various plans and projects for 2024. So it's good to be back at my desk and behind the mic again. Now, I've got some news and an offer to share with you before we hear from this week's guests. So let's dive right in. First up, the new year started off very excitingly with the news that my award-winning business book, The Future of Time, is going to be translated into simplified Chinese. It'll take a while for that to happen, but apparently I might catch first sight of the Chinese version in spring next year, probably around May. I can't wait to see what the cover will be like and to hear what Chinese readers take from it. Secondly, I'm running a special New Year's offer, whereby if you book three of my Time Intelligent Team Workshops by the end of January, you'll receive the following for free. A written summary of your time intelligence strengths and weaknesses as a group or team. Bespoke recommendations to address any issues or challenges. And a one hour call to review this together and pick my brains to the max. So if you want to save hours of unproductive or wasted work time this year and an average of £8,000 in recruitment costs for each team member who decides not to leave after all, And if you want to help your teams be happier and healthier and deliver more in 2024, then check out the link in the show notes and drop me an email at hello at helenbeedham.com. The sessions can take place anytime before the 15th of December 2024. And finally, if you're budget constrained and have too many dubious value meetings that are gobbling up your precious focus time, Then join me at my free 30-minute webinar taking place at 12 noon GMT on Wednesday the 17th of January. That's in a couple of days' time after this episode airs. You'll get some free advice and learn some very practical steps on how to waste less time and money in unproductive meetings. The link is in the show notes and on my website landing page. I hope to see you there. 
I'm also developing some new free webinars for 2024. So if there's a particular work culture or time management issue that's bothering you, drop me a line to let me know and I may design a session specifically to help with that. Right, let's hear from today's guest who has spent his career helping people overcome bias and disadvantages to land the jobs of their dreams and to thrive in their careers. He's a total inspiration and a delight to talk with. Have a listen. I'm delighted to welcome my guest this week, Simon Reichwald. For almost 30 years, Simon has worked in talent acquisition, helping employers to access untapped diverse pools of talent, from young people to returners and over 50s, and remove the barriers that hold people back from progressing in their careers. Some interesting facts about Simon are, he was awarded Freedom of the City of London in recognition for his work, which led to a new membership body called Progress Together, being set up last year to increase socio-economic diversity in senior roles in UK financial and professional services. He's also a fellow of the Institute of Student Employers, where he helps shape the apprenticeship strategy for member organisations. He's an honorary teaching fellow as part of the Leaders in Residence programme at Lancaster University Management School. And he's deputy chair for the Apprentice Diversity Champions Network, in which various employers participate. After completing numerous half marathons and one London marathon, Simon switched to cycling and pedalled from London to Paris last year and from Gloucestershire to Essex this summer, all for charity. On the side, he coaches and runs women's cricket for the Cheltenham Cricket Club. Welcome to the business of being brilliant, Simon. Blimey, Helen, when you say all those things, I can't quite believe it's me, but thank you. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> Well, it's all very impressive inside and outside of work and delightful to have you on the show. Thank you very much for joining us. And I have you put your bike away for the autumn now or do you venture out in the... In no, the all weather? weathers, all weathers. So yes, yeah, so I was out last weekend. So a bit like you, Helen, I don't go out every day. There's as impressive as your running is, but I do uh, definitely go out every single week without fail, winter, autumn, summer, spring. So exercise good for the mind so yeah. no I'm still at it oh well done you and have you got some big fundraising rides lined up for next year next funnily enough I'm meeting with some friends in a couple of weeks and we're going to talk about what we're going to do next we all felt that having a goal to aim for for this year which was our Gloucestershire to Essex ride was something that, that was great for all of us to keep us focused on on those slightly damper, rainier days when we might not have wanted to get on our bicycles, uh, uh, we we uh, we knew we knew we needed to. So, from that, we're meeting in a couple of weeks to plan what we're going to do next year. Oh, fantastic! I look forward to hearing what that's like, how that plan shapes up. And I know it's nothing like having a big, scary, audacious goal to exactly motivate right. you to get out when the when the weather's exactly not right. at its best. Yes, quite. <laughs> And I know you're no stranger to podcasting, because one thing I didn't mention in the introduction is that you co-host a podcast, is that right, uh, about that's, the law? Yeah, that's right. So it's called Reimagine Law. We've been running it for probably now a couple of years. So it's myself and three other collaborators. It's all pro bono stuff that we do. And it was really about enabling people to see the legal sector differently. There's a lot of preconceived ideas about the kind of people who work there, the kinds of roles you can have there. So, yeah, so we created this podcast series and, and, and what we did, a bit like yours, is all the podcasts are, are us chatting with 
people who work in the sector from the different specialist areas of law to the different roles that you can have working for a legal firm. So obviously from you know, paralegals and solicitors and partners, managing partners, but also all those support services that make up the running of any organization. So, you know, marketing folk we've spoken to, heads of graduate and early careers recruitment we've spoken to. I'm a big believer in that power of peer-to-peer is incredibly authentic, those messaging about what it's really like to do those things. So, yeah, it's brilliant. And we really enjoyed doing it, met some amazing people and heard some amazing stories about the journeys people have been on in and around the legal sector. So, yeah, it's good fun. Great. Well, glad to hear you enjoy it so much. And I had a look at all the different episodes and it is a fantastic range of topics. So anyone listening who is thinking about the law or thinking of making a switch into the law or curious about maybe a sideways move, there's some really fantastic resources there in terms of the conversations and as you say kind of hearing it from the horse's mouth people that do the job day in day out so fantastic that this didn't exist you know I think back to when I I was the last year that did O levels they then became GCSEs but you had to work really hard to get some work experience and podcasts didn't exist then so it's incredible that you can offer that at your desk learning now exactly and and that on the move learning as well I think you know is, is so important in those Podcasts just enable people just to plug in their earphones and listen to all kinds of content and help with their learning in a really agile way. The way we learn has changed really dramatically as a result of technology in a good way, I think. makes learning more accessible. And podcasts are one of the examples of that. Yes, definitely. So for today's conversation, we're going to be talking very much about early talent and how you help people get into jobs and then thrive in those jobs and make and progress in them etc can you tell me how did you decide to focus on this whole sector and question in your career and I'm just going to briefly mention your wonderful job title chief progression officer because we were just chatting off air before we started about about why you chose that job title and why it's important to you I wondered if you could share that with listeners yeah sure sure so I think um, if I if I go back to how I started my career, I started my career as as a lot of people do, is I, I fell into it, and, and I, I, there's no bad thing in falling into things. I think most of us do, particularly when we're younger. You know, when I was coming out of education, there was to an extent. I think it's huge now, but there's enormous pressure on knowing what you want to do. And I think it's hard to know. And I didn't. I was pretty clueless. And I was doing various jobs. And and I happened to be approached by an opportunity, which was to recruit and train graduates to go into sales roles. And this was driven by good salespeople are rare and they're expensive for firms to hire and and, and employ and pay and all that kind of stuff. And so this startup I joined was about growing your own and enabling firms to grow their own sales talent and tap into grads to do that. So so that was a mix of recruitment and development, but it was all about helping people get into get into roles that without that training or that experience, they might not be able to get. So that was the start of it, really. And that's really where my early talent life started, was that whole enabling people to progress into work, giving people who might not normally have those opportunities, those opportunities. We did that through training. If I think about some of the more recent work I do, 
which has got a big social mobility focus. It's all about looking at what are the barriers that exist for those individuals who come from a lower socioeconomic background that we can enable and help them to overcome or to remove those barriers altogether. Because all too often, you mentioned Progress Together, that membership body that we set up for the financial services sector. And that was very much about recognizing that there's all this amazing talent, but because they don't move in the right circles, because they don't speak and go on the same kind of holidays and all those kinds of things, that their ability to progress is so much slower. So the research from the task force that led to Progress Together being set up was that you know if you come from a lower socioeconomic background and you work in financial services your progression is 25 percent slower nothing to do with performance nothing to do with ability simply about your background and if you also identify as being from black heritage 32 percent slower so you've got this real inequity and so looking at how do we enable both individuals to address those barriers but also what can firms do to remove those barriers so that it really genuinely is talent and performance drives your progression so it's always been a really massive part of what i've done in in whatever format whether it's early talent whether it's for existing employees or really cool piece of work we're doing uh, we're doing it with one of our clients uh, around to over 50s who are unemployed from a lower socioeconomic background what can we do to enable them to address the barriers that exist for them to get good quality work and for organizations to tap into that brilliant talent that they might not have uh, normally been able to successfully do and unlock all that great talent. We're getting older, society's living longer. Mm-hmm. I, I saw a stat recently that in two years' time, almost 50% of the UK workforce will be over 50. So it's all that talent out there, but firms just have been unsuccessful in being able to tap into it. So again, it was how do we enable those individuals to progress into really good quality work? So everything I've done has been around that. And that's examples of work I've done. But I had this epiphany about three years ago where I realized I'd done all this work helping people get into work. But I hadn't then looked at what happens when they arrive because they're probably going to face similar barriers. So that was a real light bulb moment for me uh, about looking to address that, which is where I got really into things like mentoring and using technology to unlock mentoring and to democratize access to mentoring and all that good stuff. So everything I've done, all the different roles I've had over the years have been about that progression piece. And this epiphany led me to creating this new job title for myself, which is Chief Progression Officer. And what that does is that constantly reminds me about what I enjoy doing and when I feel really fulfilled is enabling and watching people progress into work and into good quality work and watching people progress when in work. And it's their performance and who they are that has driven that progression, not who they know, how they sound, the background they've come from. It's all about that. So that really keeps me focused all the time on why I do what I do, why I get out of bed every day and do the hours that I do and get involved in all things I get involved in. It's because I know I love, I get real personal satisfaction from watching and seeing other people progress based on their performance. I'm just an enabler. It's they who do. So that's why I came up with that rather unusual job title, because it's a constant reminder of what I love doing. Yeah, thank you for explaining all of that. And I'm curious to know whether you have come across any companies that also have set up that role, because I know there are lots of ways that 
business and leaders and HR leaders and, and line managers can put in place some checks and balances and to really calibrate who they're hiring, who's progressing, who's not progressing, etc. But it, I haven't often seen it crystallized into a role that really actively champions and holds the organization to account around progression. Have you seen that, that kind of role similar to yours being undertaken inside I, other companies? I've not seen anyone with the same job title because I made it not up. Yet. Oh, quite. But what I am starting to see is in some organizations, talent acquisition and talent development being the responsibility of one person. So being joined up, often what you can see is talent acquisition and talent development, that they're quite separate entities. Mm -hmm. So you've got talent acquisition doing all this great work to bring more talent in. So we're absolutely seeing that. But too often, there's still a little bit of a disconnect between that and when they land within the organization. So one of the things I am seeing is I'm starting to see some of those at a quite senior level coming under one individual. I think one of the other changes that I'm seeing that will help deliver this outcome, because that's really all I care about is the outcome, it is better data collection from organizations to be able to actually then track progression. For example, from a gender perspective, from a race and ethnicity perspective, from a social mobility perspective, to see to what extent there are inequities, and there are, but to, to be getting that data, recognizing where their start point is, which is typically it's not great. And that's okay, because it's not great pretty much for everybody in most firms, right? It's not great. But then using that data and continuing to improve the volumes of data that, that, that they've got on their employees to be able to track that and then measure the impact of the interventions that they're making to, to try and improve the equity. So Data collection definitely is, is one of the areas that, that I am seeing a growth in. I come back to the work I've done at Progress Together. Part of the commitment firms have to make if they want to join Progress Together is not just stick the lovely logo on your website and say, aren't we great? But they make commitments. And one of them is you've got to collect data and you've got to collect social mobility data and share that aggregated and anonymized, of course, with Progress Together, so we can then look at it from an industry perspective. So I think data collection is is an example of actions that have been taken by organizations to, to, to really address this issue of progression and critically equity of progression. And it's not just about fairness, it's about maximizing all the talent that firms have. And I think that's one of the issues that we have around EDNI is that firms are just missing out on talent. They're not making the most of all the talent they've got. They're making the most of a chunk of their talent, but not all. Uh, and, and that's key to productivity, which of course in this country is, a, is, a, is something we're not UK PLC particularly good at. So it's about unlocking that talent and unlocking great potential to achieve everything that those individuals are capable of. Yes. Yeah, that all makes sense. Really, really interesting to hear how that's evolving, what you see changing and what companies are beginning to do more of. And if I just go back a step, for anyone listening who's thinking early talent, I'm vaguely aware of what that is. Who exactly do we mean by early talent? Is that school leavers, uni leavers, apprenticeships? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a good question. 
It's all of the above, Helen. <laughs> when most companies talk about early talent, historically, they've talked a lot about graduates. But without question now, it's very definitely about apprenticeships as well. And, and the introduction in 2017 here in the UK of the apprenticeship levy was the game changer. And we've seen really exponential growth from firms who've historically only taken grads. The, the increase in the volumes of apprentices that those firms have taken have gone up really, really significantly. Now you can go from a, a, a level two right up to a level seven apprenticeship, so postgraduate qualifications at, at that level. The apprenticeship standards now have been created by employers. So the skills, the knowledge, the behaviors that apprenticeships are, are taught are, are what employers want because each of these standards have been created by employers. So, so early talent is very definitely apprenticeships and graduates, apprenticeships typically being school and, and college leavers, and let's not overlook colleges. The amount of young people being educated in colleges in this country is not much less than the total number of students being educated in our education. It's massive. Yeah. And people really overlook colleges. They think of schools mm. and they think of universities. And colleges is, is a really great, another slightly overlooked pool of talent, particularly an overlooked pool of diverse talent in colleges. So early talent is, 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 all, those, is all those three. And that landscape of early talent, has it been changing a lot? I mean, during COVID, obviously, that was a tremendously difficult time for people who were leaving education and trying to get into roles but my sense is and this is not based on any scientific research but I guess anecdotally what I hear and pick up is that people are really reconsidering the university route much more thoughtfully and actually numbers might be going down going to uni and also I hear and know of young people who are leaving, who may be academically very strong and choosing to go into an apprenticeship in an organisation and do their A-levels and degree studies there because they want to start earning. They don't want to stay in academia. They want to get into the real world. How, how is that picture evolving over recent years? Yeah, it's a really good question. And there is no doubt it is changing. So a, a number of things are driving that change. One I've mentioned already was the introduction of the apprenticeship levy and these apprenticeship standards. Now, apprenticeships are no longer just about blue-collar work. They are, absolutely. But they're also about white-collar work. So in terms of the different levels of apprenticeships, and the, the, the analogy I always talk about to really get people to, to see apprenticeships differently is there is now no longer a career that you cannot access through the apprenticeship route. And the two bastions of that, I guess, from a UK, British societal view is you can now become a lawyer and you can now become a doctor through the apprenticeship route. That is how much apprenticeships have changed. So there isn't a career you cannot access through the apprenticeship route. So I think that's one of the catalysts for this change that we're starting to see. The other is growing university tuition fees university debt for someone who leaves a, th uh, a three-year course in the UK with paid tuition fees it's just over 50 grand you know that is a significant amount of debt for a young person to leave education with and which they will then start paying back and the other thing that's happened is that the big change from my time which is obviously a long time ago when I left university is 
a university degree is no longer a guarantee of a job. Indeed, getting a first or a 2-1 is no longer a, a ticket to a great job. And there are a number of reasons why that is. Is One is something like over 70% of graduates leave university with a first or a 2-1. So it doesn't make you special. Mm. So we're finding a lot of young people come out of university with a degree, with a 2-1, we've got a first, fantastic. And they're not getting a great graduate level job. And that's really dispiriting, very understandably for them. So that that's another reason why we're seeing change and more and more young people looking at apprenticeships as a route. Because obviously, if you do a degree level apprenticeship, for example, it might take you, it'll take you longer, it might take you five years, it might take you six years to complete that. But you're working, you're earning, you get a degree level qualification at the end of it from a university but you've got no debt. And in fact, you've been earning all that time. So for all those reasons, that's driving the the change. And I think the other thing that's really driving the change, and I was at an event last night and they were talking about it, is when companies look at talent, they're moving away from this obsession with when they hire people qualifications and becoming much more focused on skills. Skills is a massive focus. It's aging workforce. What we see post-COVID there's a huge number of people retiring early. So the volumes of economic inactivity in the UK is a real problem for UK government because of yes. tax income coming out, but the amount of expense going up. So skills is, is a massive, massive focus. And apprenticeships are absolutely all about that. They're about developing the skills that employers need for the jobs that, that they need going forward. So for all those reasons, without question, we are seeing more and more young people question when I finished secondary education, my A-levels, my BTEC, my T-levels, whatever it is that I've done, is university the right route? And I think it's right that they are asking that question because university is no longer the only route to get a great job or indeed a guarantee of a great job. They have genuine choice now. When you look at the bigger employers who bring apprentices in, the average salary I saw, 21 grand for an apprentice enrolling on a higher end degree level apprenticeship. 21 grand. I know grads coming out of university earning less than that. University is definitely a good option for some people. Apprenticeships is definitely a good option for other people. Or the other route is just go straight into work. Mm. And and to to bring this right back to home, that would be my daughter. I've got a 20-year-old daughter. She left college and I wasn't quite sure what she wanted to do. So I got a pub job to earn money. Realized if I earn money, I can buy nice stuff and I enjoy working. Exactly. And, and she's now got this amazing job, you know, working for a, a, a big marketing agency, got real, real responsibility, earning more money than most grads do. And she's 20 and she's just yeah. got a job. You know, so I think there are, for young people, as it comes to the end of their secondary education, there are three really credible options. And there is no one that's the best. It's what's right for that individual. And certainly the employers we work with at Connector take a real responsibility for engaging with young people and enabling them to get good information about those pathways so that a young person can make the right choice for them as an individual. The technology we have at Connector enables companies to share insights into the different roles, different pathways, but also really importantly for individuals to connect with existing employees in that company doing that job and say, what's it really like? What's it like to be an apprenticeship? Or what's it like to be an apprentice in an engineering firm as a woman? 
to, to ask those questions in a safe space and find out what it's really like coming back to this progression piece for me one of the reasons that at connector we built our technology was to enable scale so that anyone as long as they've got access to the internet which isn't everybody i appreciate but most people do to get that genuine insight um, because again too often if you come from a family from a professional background you're surrounded by people who can probably give you that insight but if you don't you just don't get access to it so we use technology to democratize access to insights and information to enable individuals whether they're young people whether they're returners whether they're over 50s whatever those groups are to enable them to get that insight so they can make the right decision for them at a very individual level about what's right for them. Yes. Sorry, I've gone off on one there, but I'm something no. I'm really passionate about. No, well, it's evident. And, and I'm, I'm very glad you talked about your platform and how that helps individuals and employers, because that was going to be my last question. So if I'm a recent leaver, how Connector helps me? What's the support I get? It's helped to access job opportunities to evaluate them and through the support on the platform more likely to land that job it's a number of things so if you think about any job hunter whatever their age right they're going to be thinking about what jobs are out there that are right for me so what our tech enables individuals to do is to learn more about opportunities and talk to people in those roles and find out what it's like to decide if they want to apply so that's step one The next way the technology helps them is they then progress through the recruitment process. Now, we know that recruitment processes are are increasingly and rightly demanding. Employers want to make sure they've got great talent. So they're going to put them through online application forms, video interviews, telephone interviews, online tests, interviews, assessment centers, situational judgment tests, all these different hurdles you have to overcome. And again, if you come from an advantaged background, you'll probably have people around you who can help. But if you don't, you won't. So again, what we're seeking to do is let's give everyone this support. So ahead of each stage of the recruitment process you go through for that organization, you will be fed content to help you prepare so they get that support as they progress through each stage. And what we absolutely see is that candidates, who engage with content on the platform and engage with what we call digital buddies or digital mentors on the platform. Depending on the organization, we see stats of anything between three times more likely to land a job if they've used the tech than they hadn't, up to 22 times more likely. And then the final two pieces of the jigsaw for us is then having had your offer, so that gap in time between when you're offered a job and when you start, you might get other job offers, other things might happen. So what the tech enables you to do is learn more about the organization before you land, connect with existing employees in the department you're going into. So you build that sense of belonging and inclusion and you feel invested in by your organization before you've even started. So we find what that does is reduce declines and reneges, right? I think between 30 and 75%. And then the final piece of, jigs- of the jigsaw is when you land within the organization, particularly those who come from less advantaged backgrounds, is your progression can be impacted because you don't have that social and cultural capital. You don't move in the right circles. You don't have the right networks. So this is where we use our mentoring technology to, again, democratize access. So when you land in an organization or if you're already in an organization, you can find the right mentor for you. You don't have to know them. My algorithm matches me to people who can help me for what I'm specifically looking for. I can connect with those individuals, choose the right mentor for me, 
who can then help me move my my career for because we know that mentoring has huge impacts on people's career progression so mentees are five times more likely to be promoted than people who don't have a mentor and mentors are six times more likely to be promoted than people who don't mentor others so both parties really win out of this so we use technology to enable anybody to progress when they are working within an employer organisation. Wonderful. Thank you so much for explaining that whole end-to-end process. It sounds incredibly powerful and I love the evidence of what you measure and how you can prove the effectiveness of your support and your technology for individuals but also for your clients who are employers so if either of individuals and or employers or people do hiring are listening and curious to find out more what's the best way for them to connect with you and connector I'm always happy to chat with people and I'm always really happy to share insights share what I know with other people Because I find the world is a wonderful place and it will give back to you in very unexpected ways often and not from where you've done the giving. But also, yeah, uh, come find out about Connector, which is connector.com. And I can share all the other things that I've been involved in. And you mentioned some at, at the beginning, the Institute for Student Employers, the Apprentice Diversity Champions Network my task force work and progress together. I'm really happy to then connect people up to those organisations as well. Great, thank you. I'll pop a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes, a link to Connector and also to your uh, Reimagine Law podcast and then people can pick up with you whichever route they choose. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Simon. It's been absolutely fascinating to get this up-to-date sense of how the early career landscape's been evolving, what the challenges are for people, particularly from from socioeconomic diverse backgrounds, what those challenges are getting into roles uh, and the work you do at Connected to help people land the right role for them and hopefully go on to thrive with the support of some really effective mentors. Um, You've been a brilliant guest. Thank you very much. Helen, listen, I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and and to share. So thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, please rate the podcast online, leave a review and share it with friends. And if you like to watch as well as listen, don't forget the videos are also on my YouTube channel. See you next Monday. Have a great week and keep on being brilliant. Brilliant.